0: The Lady 80 Show podcast. We talk about books, everything about books and have great interview with authors. Here's one now. Today I'm joined by somebody who I really revere. His name is Andy Bounds and he's a best-selling author. But not only that, he is a generous author because he helps other people. His main job is motivating as a motivator speaker, and he is a wealth of information. So as part of Book Academy, we have his book called Top Dog, which he wrote with Richard Ruttle, and it's this book we are primarily talking about today. So welcome, Andy.
1: Hi there, lady.
0: Hi. So Top Dog, it says, impress and influence everyone you meet. Now, obviously, you've made a big impression on me and influenced me with all the different um, motivational tips and things that you put out on a regular basis. But tell me how this book came about.
1: So it was a lot of um, Richard, my co-author idea. He has owned dogs all his life and he noticed how different dogs behave differently around different dogs and pack animals and alpha and all this sort of stuff. So uh, I don't really care about dogs too much, uh, but Richard really does. But we noticed some interesting um, analogies about dogs and people. So what often happens is when we speak to people who we're a bit scared of, so it's a bit like a small dog talking to a big dog, we can become a bit deferential with them. And we come a bit like bow our head or like go to the back of the litter or whatever it might be. Now, we don't think we're doing it, but we do it subconsciously. And we say things like, you know, thank you for sparing the time to see me today, or um, here are some slides that you haven't asked for, or I'm sorry to trouble you, I won't be long. And the very first words out of our mouth are deferential. And what I found in, uh, as I've spoken to important people all over the world is that important people when they speak to others, they don't want to speak to people who are deferential, they want to speak to people who are valuable. Yeah. So I'd much rather someone came to me with, Andy, I've got something useful for you than falling over themselves to thank me for their time all the time. So what this book does is it helps people become the the top dog, the the dominant person in the pack. So we stop saying thank you for your time and sorry to trouble you and start saying different things. And the idea is you read the book and you're much uh, much more able to come across as the peer of the person you're speaking with. uh, And you lose that inhibition that you maybe didn't even know you had.
0: all right excellent now i'm a very much a doggy person so when i first read this it really it resonated on more than one level but obviously you don't have to be a a dog lover or dog owner even to get the messages in the book Mm -hmm. but it's it's been like that parent adult child comes to mind you know that that's yeah absolutely yeah um but it's not a psycho book Is psycho the right word? Psychologist book?
1: I don't know. I mean, the other word that it is also beginning with P is practical. Um, I'm a big believer that I want people to be able to read any page of any of my book and at the end, like close the page and then just go and do it straight away. Um, There are lots of books I've read, which they're almost like a history lesson, really. Uh, And they're worthy in their own way and they can be very interesting, but I put them down and then I can't use anything. Um, So, you know, if I read it, I don't know a biography of someone's life, it's really good, but I'm wanting someone to say, and therefore my advice to you is this. So the P word practical, Richard and I carried on talking about, yeah, but can people use this the next day? So for example, one thing we wanted to get across was don't be meek in your opening sentence. Well, that's all very good. And it's a nice point. But then you have to say, and here are some things you can say instead. And here's how you practice it to make sure you say them right. And if it doesn't go well, then this is what you can say instead. So yeah, we deliberately wanted it to be instantly usable by anyone that was the path we decided to take with it so i'm pleased to hear that you don't think it's psycho whatever the word is
0: (laughs) i know be careful with that one um now i know our book academy readers will be looking at this book and they will be picking out their favorite three things from it Mm -hmm. Um, what were your three favorite things when you were writing it
1: oh wow um well I'll give you a helpful answer to start with an unhelpful one. So um, I really enjoyed the focus on afters. Uh, So what we mean by afters is people don't really care what what we do. They care why they're better off after it. So nobody, much as I think everybody loves me and loves my books, they don't. But after reading the book, they're better able to influence people. So nobody wants the thing. They want the afters of the thing. It's like we don't want a newspaper, but after the newspaper, we know the news. So you never want the thing. You want the afters. I don't want a lawyer. I just don't want to go to jail. So when we were talking about this, one way to help position yourself as a peer of someone else is don't think that I'm a junior and they're a senior. Instead, you think the afters you can bring, you might be able to save that junior six hours a day. You might be able to help the senior be able to access new people. So always focus on the afters. That was one of them. And The second one was very much about this idea of be valuable, not deferential. So just have a look at everything you're saying. Are you saying thank you for your time this morning? Because if so, why don't you change it to I enjoyed our meeting? Because our meeting is joint, but thank you for your time is deferential. And the third thing, which is not very helpful for anyone, but I personally really enjoyed co-authoring. Uh, Richard is a very, very clever man, great guy, love him, wonderful company. And he came up with wonderful ideas. And quite often when you write a book, as I'm sure you and many of you colleagues would say and it can be quite draining you know because everything's coming out of your heart and your soul and your head onto this piece of paper and often you don't get a lot back unless you proactively stimulate it to get stuff back whereas what I found with Richard is I'd write chapter say one and he'd write say chapter two and I'd look at chapter two and I was stimulated when I was writing and that doesn't always happen so selfishly one of my favorite things was co-authoring because I learned so much at the same time
0: and so is that quite different to your other books like the jelly effect and the snowball effect equally great mm. books that I'm sure people listening to this podcast will jump onto Amazon and buy. But, um, you know, those books you wrote yourself.
1: That's so right, I'm yeah.
0: So how compare?
1: I, I enjoy both of them. I mean, they're, they're different things. I mean, like birthing a book is not vastly different than bringing up a child, really. You know, you put all your love and everything into it. I mean, I've got three books and I've got four children and I love all seven of them in different ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and so it, it's very it's very different. But I I enjoyed um, co-authoring because I got all the stimulation from Richard, and I enjoyed bouncing it. And there was someone who was jointly in it with me. So with all the other books, they've been collaborative as well. I've had lots of people have been helping me with the editing and you know the typing of it and saying I think that chapter lacks pace. You might want to do it again. So you know lots of people helping me. But actually have someone who woke up thinking about it like Richard did. That was quite nice. I enjoyed that. And. Awesome. Um, Going the other way, I did also enjoy being a solo author, and I love that. Is this an ego thing? I don't know, but I love knowing that I am a best-selling author. I love soaring. I love seeing one of my books with my name at the end of it at the top of Amazon. That was cool. Um, so I, they're both fine. You know, you make either work.
0: Now, one of the things I absolutely love about you is that you are generous. You're generous with your time. You're generous with, um, you know, when another author approaches you, you will talk mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, and, you know, when you, know, you you get to a certain stage in life and things get busy, it's quite a lot to actually go, no, I used to remember what it was like when I first started and to give that time. So we met through another book club, I think, originally. But then I was active and jumped onto LinkedIn and then you answered. And there's nothing like the biggest thrill in the world when somebody answers you in that way. Mm. So how many approaches do you get in, in say, a week or a month?
1: Um, well, I don't count them, but I would imagine. I sort of want to say 25 a week kind of thing. It's definitely quite a few most days. Um might be a bit more than that, but, but by that, like, uh, people who've read one of the books or people who want a bit of a tip about that sort of thing. So, I mean, sometimes you get, like, a big company ring because they want you to speak at a conference. I'm ignoring that stuff. But actual requests for help and guidance and sometimes just a bit of a kind of five minutes on the phone. Yeah, about 25 a week, I would guess, give or take.
0: All right. Excellent. Now, you gave um, me a few tips about writing. Mm-hmm um one of them being about the active brain would you like to expand on that for me
1: yes of course so uh, i'm a big believer in this writing a book is really hard i think even if you love it it takes ages anyway it's like if you love running and want to do a marathon go on fill your boots but you're still going to give four hours of your life to the thing so uh, even if you love it it's hard and so i want to be able to write at the time when it's easiest for me to be brilliant so if you think about what you're like, lady, or anyone who's listening to this, what you're like, you have an A phase, a B phase and a C phase. So I'm like many people I've met, I'm pretty good in the morning. So I'm A in the morning, then I have lunch and I go straight to C minus because I've just had lunch. <laughs> and then I sort of come up to a B in the afternoon. So I'm like A, early morning, A, mid morning, C, straight after lunch and B. So therefore, given that, my active brain time, my A phase is in the morning. So that's a very long way of saying that when you're writing a book, you should absolutely do it in your A zone, not your C zone or your B zone. So I have heard some people say, well, I'll do a bit of work to start with, and then I'll do a bit of writing of the book after lunch. Well, that just is nuts, I think. Like writing takes so much effort and love and discipline and creativity and innovation and all those things. You have to do it when your brain's at its best. So what I find works best for me is I'm better in the morning. And generally, the earlier I go, the better I go. So what I was doing was I would often set my alarm clock at the time that most people think would be nuts, like four or half four in the morning maybe, and sometimes five and half five, if I was having a lie-in, and I would (laughs) do like two or three hours then when my brain is at peak Andy. So my brain never works very well, but as good as it's ever going to be is at that time of the day. So I'd set my alarm, crack out work for a couple of hours then, because that's when my brain's at its best, and then I wouldn't do any other writing for the rest of the day. Like none. If I had a good idea... I might just write a few notes down, knowing that I would write the idea better the next morning. And occasionally I get the gift of the muse and I can't stop writing and then I do it whenever that happens. But that I'm not one of those immortals who that happens to really. So I'm the sort of person who is a bit of a plodder. My brain's at its best in the morning, so I'm going to write in the morning. And I would do more between four and six in the morning than I would between six and midnight in the evening.
0: Yeah. I, i'm i'm that early bird as well but i often write with my daughter and she's the owl she wakes up in the evenings. Yeah. and when we co-author together that can you know, is quite interesting you know like don't talk to me after five o'clock if you want any sense from me in the afternoon and and she's like yeah but you try and talk to me at six seven in the morning i'm not interested
1: yeah, and it's really, hard. and that is the thing because she needs, like we all need, our active brain time as well. And it's, and if you are co-authoring, then there needs to be a compromise around that, of course. But there are plenty of people who are night owls. My sister-in-law, like, I think she's the cleverest person I've ever met. She's got a PhD in maths and came top in the country in something or other. Designs roller coasters if she wants to, you know, just <laughs> super, super brainy, clever. And she's an absolute night owl. Most of her work is done between midnight and four in the morning. Um, yeah. you know, and so. Obviously, my advice for her will be, well, write your book between midnight and four in the morning. Then, you know, you just find your zone and get in that. But don't try and write it, fitting it around other things. You've got to fit your life around it if you want the book to be pleasant and quick to write.
0: Good. Excellent. And you said for first time authors, and I think it's also for those who have done a bit more, is never say I think.
1: Yes. Um, I was giving this feedback from I think it was, um, I think it was the first book. I'm sure it was. Um, and I did my um, did my manuscript, sent it into Capstone, the publishers. And one of the pieces of feedback, which I'll be forever grateful for um, uh, was that sometimes I use the words I think so I would start off by saying, I think there are four elements to a networking conversation, blahdy blah bloody, blah, blah. And what she was saying was, uh, when I read it, it feels like the author has some doubts. And I know you're probably being polite and I know you're almost being like legally compliant because somebody said, I think you'll find this five. And you go, yes, yes, I didn't say there was. I've just said, I think it's like when you read tabloid reporters, we understand Boris Johnson doing this and this. Any time you see we understand means it's a total guess. (laughs) It means that you can't like like legally. Well, we just understood. We must have understood incorrectly. And so and what I found was if it says, I think there are four steps to a networking conversation, it comes across as quite weak. And as as this lady said to me, which is such good advice nobody wants to hear you have doubts you read a business book because you want certainty from the from the writer so even if you have doubts you can't transmit them and so get rid of the words i think and all of a sudden it now becomes there are four steps to a networking conversation which is totally different than i think there are four steps and so now the minute you get rid of i think it's like there are four steps and you've only got to master all four and it becomes quite straightforward i'll run through what the four are and then show you how to be good at each one and so just getting rid of i think made the whole thing more pleasant for the reader, but actually, it helped me become more dynamic as an author because I was thinking people only want guidance; they don't want me hedging me bets.
0: Great! I when I put my proofreading hat on for working with my authors, that's that is one of the words that or phrases I should look out for, mm-hmm. as well as being the "that" police and okay. the, a couple of other things that I'm the police on. So, your favourite quote mm-hmm. is first. get inspiration habit is more dependable it will sustain you whether you are inspired or not by octavia octavia butler
1: yes so So... what happened with an an interviewer asked um, uh, miss butler um, about writing and asked how she could be so prolific i mean how hard is it writing books we all even if it's wonderful you have to put time in well she would churn out book after book after book and asked how come she managed to be so prolific and consistently prolific and her answer was that quote you just said first forget inspiration habits more dependable it sustains you whether you're inspired or not so if we break that down first forget inspiration what well, the point she was basically making is as an author don't just wander around a field of daffodils and expect a book to come to you like inspiration's fine but on its own it's not enough and then she's saying habit is more dependable because it sustains you whether you're inspired or not in other words, like as I said before, when I'm writing, I get in the habit of the alarm is on between four and six or whatever my time is. And that's my writing time. And I go down and I get a cup of coffee and I go to my desk and I put, shut the door and I put a sign on it. And then I get the piece of paper and then I start writing and then and then and then and then I have a break at like 4.25 a.m. or whatever it might be. <laughs> and she, but the point she's basically making is you've got to get in good habits. Stay sustain you whether you're inspired or not. So I don't have to be inspired to do that. And you because it's my habit, and you can see this in all walks of life, let's say two people want to go for a jog, because they feel they need to lose a bit of weight, one person is in the habit of jogging, and the other person isn't. Well, the person who isn't, has to really get the willpower to do it. And willpower takes energy like anything else. So if you don't get the inspiration, you don't get the willpower, you don't go for the jog, whereas the person who's in the habit, they just do it without thinking. And so the reason I love that as a quote is we're told so often that inspiration is the thing to aim for. But inspiration, as a minimum, only starts you going. It doesn't keep you going. The thing that keeps you going are amazing habits that you do without thinking. If you want to be good at jogging for the rest of your life, you've got to get in the habit of jogging. There is no alternative to to doing that. And that's why I love the quote so much, because it goes against what everyone tells you, that if you're inspired... you should be fine i don't
0: agree i know we haven't got much time left because um i love this idea of going against the grain and i think Mm. that very much is what top dog is about um and even in how you deal with business cards it's like just because everyone else does it in a certain way doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way and what are the results so I, I did enjoy that, one of those tips. So for the book club, if we've, we've just finished with the favourite quote. So that is brilliant
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um, excellent. So I just really thank you for your time. It's been great and I look forward to their comments too.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot, Lady. All the best, everyone. Thank you.
0: Hey, thank you for listening to the Lady A D Show podcast. Come back, subscribe, and we'll do this all over again. Bye-bye.